0: Welcome to the Build the Future podcast. My name is Cameron Weesey, and I'm your host. I've always been fascinated by the ideas and sentiment that drove American culture in the 1960s with the space race. A culture galvanized to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow, whether it's food, transportation, cities, biology, or anything else. It was this cultural mindset rooted in optimism that the world tomorrow would be better than the world today. A mindset where people were compelled to build things, and I quote JFK, not because they were easy, but because they were hard. It's this desire to build and to dream that seems to have been lost and something we're here to bring back. With Build the Future, we're here to promote the ideas and stories of those who see how the future can be better and promote their plans to get us there. It's our mission to get you to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow. Dream about the future that you want to live in, and inspire you to go build. Today, we're talking with Doug Pekanix, the CEO of Livepeer. At Livepeer, they're building a decentralized video streaming network built on the Ethereum blockchain. Let's jump right in. Thank you again for being willing to come on talk about what you're doing at Livepeer. I'm stoked for. I'm like stoked to dive dive into this. Um, so first of all, thank you. Appreciate it. Doug, why don't you tell me about the the feature you're building at Livepeer? What's the vision?
1: Sure. Thank yeah. Thanks for having me on, Cameron. I'm su- super excited to dive into this conversation. Um, so yeah, I'm Doug Buchanan, uh, founder of Livepeer. Our mission is to build the world's open video infrastructure. And so, video has increasingly become a huge part of everyone's lives in normal times. You know, it makes up over eighty percent of the traffic on the internet, but especially. Um, In a socially distanced world and during COVID times, I think everyone felt how important video was to their life, their work, their entertainment, their family, their friends, et cetera. And like I said, a huge amount of traffic on the internet runs through video infrastructure, but traditionally it all runs through the same couple companies, very expensive proprietary infrastructure and, and closed source software. And that created really challenging circumstances for anyone trying to monetize their time through video to be able to do so effectively. They basically had to stream through YouTube and, and Twitch and Facebook, which controlled their experience, controlled their economics with their users. They were always at the risk of being deplatformed um, on a whim for any violation, and we can, we can talk about that. But I'm really excited about the future where there's an open video infrastructure that enables all sorts of you know, developers and hackers and entrepreneurs and product visionaries to create the next great wave of video experiences targeted for specific use cases, targeted for creators, targeted for entertainers, musicians, content creators, et cetera. Um, and being able to do it on this open, cost-effective video infrastructure will create great economic alignment between the people creating the content, the people consuming the content, and the platforms themselves. And I think it can free us from this horrible, uh, you know, attention economy ad supported models that we that we see causing all sorts of problems in society today. And I, you know, I really look forward to swinging the pendulum back in the other direction and you know, having better aligned platforms. So that's the future that I want to see and that we're working towards building at Peer
0: what it means to build the infrastructure layer. Cause I think at least in my mind, it's like, oh cool. Like if you're building kind of a new video platform or new video infrastructure, like people's minds jump immediately to YouTube. Like, oh, you're building the new YouTube. You're building the new Twitch, you're building new Vimeo. But my understanding is that's not what y'all are doing. Kind of building the layer, kind of the bottom of the stack. So can you talk about kind of what that looks like?
1: Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. A lot of people hear what we're doing and they think we're building a you know replacement YouTube. Um, but we're not, we're not building a platform with all the features where a single person shows up to stream and they have a chat box and they have ads and they have whatever, you know, comments and whatever features they want. We're building the infrastructure that lets any developer build a streaming application like a YouTube, like a Twitch, like a TikTok, like an Instagram Live, like any any of these live streaming platforms. And there's a, you know, a whole explosion of them as there's been kind of a backlash against Tech. So, what are the infrastructure services that matter in live video and live streaming video? There's a few. First of all, video is very complex technology. So, there's this piece of software called a media server. That's the thing that speaks video. It knows how to receive video. It knows how to send out video. It knows how to convert video to to reach every type of device on the planet. And so, one thing that's at the core of Live Peer is this open source media server called the Live Peer Media Server. And essentially, it's the Live Peer Node. And then the second problem, once you have the software that can do all this is how do you do video at scale? Because video is so compute heavy to encode into all the different formats so it can reach every device. You know, if you wanna build one of these video platforms, you might need an additional server for every two streams that people send in just to process it. And so scaling that is really challenging. So kind of the second piece is the LivePeer network is this network of all the LivePeer node operators who are incentivized to run this media server and keep their compute power available to encode video at scale. And you know, we can talk about who's providing the supply and why it's really powerful, but there's you know, a super scalable network that can handle hundreds of thousands of streams of video concurrently and so for a developer that's so powerful just to be able to say, "Oh, no matter how popular my app gets, no matter how many users are creating streams at one time and pressing that go live button, you know, the live peer network can encode it." Right? finally, there's like other important pieces of the video stack that, you know, we haven't yet addressed like content delivery. Typically this is called a CDN. Maybe you've heard of a company like Akamai or Fastly. And this is, okay, you have these output videos. How do you deliver them to thousands or millions of viewers at once? And there's actually no fully decentralized solutions that are performant enough to do this for live video yet. Um, Something we certainly aspire to do and, and have opportunities to do, but currently, you know, a user would put it to a traditional CDN on top of Livepeer. Um, but so anyway, all of that is at the core of the infrastructure and the video space. And the output is developers that want to build these video applications, just use Livepeer software and network in order to power that. And it's going to be, you know, 10 to a hundred times more cost effective than using the, the current cloud providers.
0: Like YouTube, they build all this stuff in-house, right? So you upload your video to their server, And then they do the transcoding, they do the hosting, they do the delivery of all the different like file quality types to to different devices. But because it's all kind of run in-house, they're monetizing it in their own sort of ways with ads and et cetera. Versus with LivePeer, it's a a network of like nodes that are doing the processing, doing the transcribing. So anyone else can build their own like niche YouTube on top of it. Is that right?
1: Yep, exactly. So, you know, we see people building, streaming sites that are catered towards musicians, streaming sites that are catered towards artists, streaming sites that are catered towards fitness instructors, streaming sites that are catered toward educators trying to teach courses, right? And they, these, all these users have different feature requirements that you know, really make those platforms specific and, and sing for those users. Whereas YouTube's kind of broad and horizontal needs to try and serve everyone, but may not be serving any of those verticals specifically.
0: In the white paper for Livepeer, you outlined a couple of potential use cases for Livepeer now and into the future. Can you can you talk about some of those? Some of the ones that excite you the most?
1: Yeah, so I think the the one that's the most exciting to me is this idea of empowering creators of content or professionals to basically take like economic control over their, you know, their streaming relationship with their with their audience. The fact that LivePeer can be cost effective means that you can build a streaming platform that enables this without bankrupting yourself on the the infrastructure costs and the tie-ins to the cryptocurrency industry and some of the payments mechanisms we have in place, like micropayments within the protocol level, could be used for these sort of value exchange for streaming use cases. Right. And I I think that's really exciting. That's the future that I want to see. I think it does take product visionaries and entrepreneurs and developers to have a vision for exactly how to meet those needs for specific audiences and, and driving those forward but the thing is my enables a thousand of those experiments to bloom whereas they couldn't have bloomed on the cloud providers like running on you know Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud because it would it would cost 10 or 100x as much money to try and experiment with those platforms and the platforms you know the entrepreneurs and, and developers would be bankrupt by infrastructure costs before they could even validate these things. So that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm most excited about. Technically, I'm a, I'm a software developer by background. I felt the pain of scaling video. I, I'm really excited. So this might not be a consumer thought, but I'm super excited from a developer perspective of being able to build on like an auto-scaling platform that just means I don't have to do DevOps. I don't have to spin up servers. I don't have to manage them, um, but I'm still getting a cost-effective way to do that that's super powerful and exciting to me as a developer. So I'm, I'm really excited about what that can enable as well.
0: Essentially there's like kind of the infrastructure layer and then there's kind of in the future, this kind of like decentralized app or the DAP layer, right? And so kind of step one for is for like building out the infrastructure and then eventually kind of building DAPs on top of it. Is that the right way to think about it?
1: Well, I think the the idea is anyone can build DAPs on top of it, right? Or apps. So. We've taken a really practical approach at Livepeer. Like we were the video layer of the Web3 stack, but we're not just sitting around waiting for all of the Web3 infrastructure ecosystem to mature to the point where there are tons of super successful and scaled decentralized apps or dApps built on top. Like I'm very excited for that day. I'm excited to see what's built, but we built in a way that actually meets and serves the traditional video industry directly in the workflows that they already use. So anyone who has a scaled streaming site, traditional scale video streaming site, has high infrastructure costs to do video transcoding. And they can use the Livepeer network to dramatically reduce those costs. And they, we've even built kind of a gateway service at livepeer.com, which means that they don't have to know anything about blockchain. They don't have to know anything about cryptocurrency. They don't have to know anything about running nodes. They can just use an API that leverages the super powerful and scalable live peer network. And that's driving a lot of the demand on the live peer network and a lot of the fees through the live peer network today. So all of our node operators, everyone who's earning fees and getting rewarded for contributing their compute power. A lot of that is due to the traditional like web two user base, but ultimately you know I'm really excited about what will be built in web three, the new things that can, you know, be enabled that will replace many of, of the web two platforms, I believe, in the future. But I just can't sit around and, and wait for it. And it's probably, you know, not our core competency to pick one killer application and try and get it right. Instead we're the platform that lets hundreds of people build different applications.
0: I want to kind of jump back a little bit to and have you kind of dive deeper into kind of the mechanics of the LivePeer network. How does this work? How are people incentivized? How's the blockchain involved? Give me and the listeners kind of a crash course in that. That'd be great.
1: Definitely. So the Live Peer Network is made up of a bunch of node operators who run the Live Peer node software, right? And what they're doing is they're contributing their compute power and their bandwidth to encode and distribute live video. So how is this network coordinated? How's the blockchain fit in? How does this work? So um, we created a uh, token coordinated protocol. The live peer token is an ERC20 token. And I think it kind of formed the basis for a lot of um, work token protocols, if you will. The idea is anyone who wants to do work on the network stakes token. So they they lock the token in a smart contract, right? And that becomes their collateral that proves that they'll do the work correctly. And if they if they don't, if they cheat at doing the work maliciously, that collateral can be taken away or slashed. That provides some security for people using using the network, right? And the incentives for for staking are twofold. One is every day, every round in the live peer network, some new live peer token is generated out of the protocol and it only goes to the people who are staking and participating. So that incentivizes people to actually like take, stake and put skin in the game and be aligned with the network long-term. The second incentive is that users of the network, so people who want to stream and encode videos, they pay ETH in order to do that. And these node operators whose nodes are doing the work earn that ETH. And that's all settled by the blockchain using a probabilistics micropayments protocol that we built on top of Ethereum and a scaling update we put out. And so that's that's kind of at the core of how it works. The one other cool thing is if you don't want to run a node, but you want to play a part in this network, you believe in it long term, you want to add security to it, you can participate by essentially delegating your stake. You can, you know, as a regular token holder, you can stake your token towards one of these node operators, almost like you probably heard about validators and other networks. They're called orchestrators in LivePeer, but you can stake towards an orchestrator and then you'll earn a portion of the new tokens generated every day and the fees that they generate. And so this has been um, really effective at bootstrapping the network. There was a high rate of inflation in the early days and that encouraged a lot of participation. And uh, you know, we have a, a bootstrap supply side network that's encoding video reliably around the world. I want to talk about who is doing this work and why why there's so much capacity. This is one of the, the coolest things about Livepeer. It's also one of the most technical. There are millions of GPUs or graphical processing unit cards that are out there that are mining cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, right? Ethereum, Zcash, Grin, Monero, these are all mined by GPU pieces of hardware and it just so happens that many of these GPUs have little video encoding ASICs on there that can't hash cryptocurrency. They, they can only encode and decode video uh, because these GPUs were made for gaming and video processing, right? And so those cards are hard at work hashing cryptocurrencies, but they also have chips on there that can encode video. They're sitting there doing nothing. And so LivePeers software enables them to continue their mining and not disrupt their mining income but to make additional revenue by encoding video. And so it becomes almost like a no brainer value proposition for a miner is like, oh, I can make more money without significant additional costs. And by the way, I only have to use power to do this when there's a job to be done. So only only when I'm making money. So this creates like an enormous latent supply of compute power that's available to the live peer network. And that's why we can encode video at scale. That's why we can do it so cost effectively. Uh, just to give you an order of magnitude of the numbers, you know, cloud services charge at least three dollars an hour to encode video. So over the course of the day, that's you know seventy-two bucks, right? One of these GPUs can encode at least two videos concurrently. So that's one hundred forty-four dollars that you know someone is paying cloud networks to encode video streams, right? The cost for a miner to use their their GPU to encode these two videos in electricity and bandwidth is something like ballpark 50 cents a day. So their cost is 50 cents. People are paying cloud providers $144 for this level of service. So that's why there's a huge opportunity for the miners to like make a margin, still be hugely disruptive to what the cloud providers are charging. Of course, there's some other overhead to make it that reliable and and everything, but there's a huge room for to, to play with here where everyone can still make money, and so that's really compelling, and that's what creates a lot of the supply side um, of LivePeer. That's sweet.
0: Why is it so expensive to run through these kind of cloud competing providers?
1: So it's partly because it can be, because doing video at scale is very challenging. You need huge global um, network of servers, and only the cloud providers, like AWS, Google, and and Azure can provide that infrastructure. And so that infrastructure is typically marked up, you know, 4X over what it would cost a bare metal server. And then you, you have someone who actually works on video and video software that needs to deploy on this infrastructure and run servers and do DevOps and whatnot on top of that. So they have to take their cut. So you're already paying 4X for a server, plus a lot of these are CPUs, not GPUs, so they're not as efficient. So, you know, we're more efficient by, by design to begin with Forks for the server, a layer for the software it's proprietary and closed source. So there could be a markup on that. There's not a lot of competition and that's just been the established market price for the, you know, the few people who can build these services and provide the reliability. So to use live peer reliably, you probably still have some additional cost in terms of you want your own redundancies. You, you know, need other layers in your stack. But um, yeah, there's, I think there's huge room for cost disruption and we're, we're seeing and validating that now.
0: So so I guess like on that, it seems like a no-brainer for any company that's doing video to spread out and use, some, use like live versus kind of AWS, or Google Cloud or um, Azure or whatever. I think like if we just think about like Netflix as an example, like they process more video than probably anyone else. Uh, well, second to YouTube, I guess like what would some of the challenges be for them to like in the way for the, of them kind of coming to use live peer versus kind of how they're doing it now?
1: Yeah. You know, YouTube or Twitch is a better example than Netflix. Cause what's, what's interesting about Netflix is they'll spend a hundred million dollars creating a great two hour movie. Right. And then that two hour movie only needs to be transcoded once or, you know, they might do it multiple times, but if you look at Twitch, for example, they have, over 70,000 streams of video around the clock 24/7 that need to constantly be re-encoded right So it's like take two hours versus like you know millions and millions of hours each, each day, right Okay so what would it take for them to switch to live peer? Um, you know why would why would they or would they not do it? Certainly if you look at you know twitch or Google, They've invested a ton over time in their own infrastructure, their own software solutions. They are scaled companies with product market fit and they probably have deeply integrated technology stacks that touch many other components where, you know, it might be a tougher decision for them or they may not be facing the the problems on these economies of, of scale. But if you look at someone who is using a cloud service, like someone who's running on AWS or one of these video cloud providers, and what would it take for them to switch to live peer for video transcoding? likely very little likely they're using a transcoding api already and they would just use the livepeer api instead and that would be livepeer.com api and that would be very you know simple transition we also have plugins to popular media servers so if they have their own media server workflow they could you know use livepeer just by installing a plugin so that's great i think it is an interesting asking the question what if they didn't want to use the livepeer.com hosted service, right? That's a little centralized. There's a, you know, a cost markup there. What if they just want to build on this open live peer network, right? What they would do there, they would download a live peer node. They would fund it with ETH by depositing it. Right. And then when they start that node, it would give that, it creates a local um, streaming API that their, their application would send videos into. So you know, to do this reliably, they'd run a series of these nodes around the world so that they have local video ingest points. Um, They keep them funded with ETH and then their, their application, wherever their users are using to stream, maybe it's a mobile app, maybe they're telling their users to use some desktop streaming software. It would stream into these live peer nodes and, you know, everything else under the hood would be taken care of transparently.
0: So you've been, you've been working on this for almost four years now, right? It was like 2017, it looked like. What kind of pulled you into to this particular problem? I mean, it's I know you've you've had some experience with kind of video in the past, but like, what was it about doing this in the short term and the long term that, that got you really excited?
1: Yeah, so a little bit of background is my co-founder, Eric, and I worked together on two startups previously. Um, yeah, one that was successful, and we saw that outcome, and then one that was like not successful, and so we saw the tough times of entrepreneurship um, we, you know, there was kind of these two meeting trends. One is we had a lot of experience doing video engineering. We felt the pain in both costs and scaling of building on um, like these closed platforms. And the second thing is we, you know, had always been interested in Bitcoin, but with kind of the rise of Ethereum in 2016 um, as a developer platform that let you actually embed economic incentives into open source software. That was so exciting to us. And we just got really into web three and the Ethereum development ecosystem. We built a bunch of open source projects. One of them was actually, it was called Auction House. It was the precursor to NFTs. We you know authored a, a non-fungible asset standard and like the original NFT protocol definition. We were like the first comment on the thread and collaborators with that. So yeah, that was one thing. We built this uh, attestation protocol for web three transactions. You know we were working out with the swarm team um, that was building out this storage layer as part of one of the original ethereum um, pillars and we you know our interest in video our inclination for doing infrastructure engineering and the recognition that there was a missing video layer in the web three stack along with all of the benefits that decentralization brings to video like you need a global footprint you need software being running close to the source of videos you need you know, distributed pops to distribute video. We are like, this is, makes perfect sense for decentralization. This is something that needs to exist. We are really excited about what video is going to enable in the future. Let's spend six months figuring out if it's viable for us to build this, right? And we did a ton of research and, and whatnot. And eventually in, in early 2017 committed to uh, building Livepeer. It was right before the, uh,
0: the big, the first big, or well, the last big run up, I suppose. <laughs> Wild.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. When we, when we started doing this in 2016, actually, and building these open source projects, we would kind of tell people in the New York startup ecosystem and, and whatnot, like what we were doing. And we would just play the role of educating them, like what is going on in crypto? What is going on in Ethereum? Like, what is this thing? Right? There was no such thing as a crowd sale. Um, eventually became ICO, right? Not that there was no such thing, but like it hadn't connected with anyone in the mainstream yet, right? And then even in early 2017, when we committed, there was still not madness. There was no awareness. There was no hype, like token prices were low, like, et cetera. And then just as we were getting started, things really went, went crazy for that first time. And that was like a wild year, year and a half, I think.
0: Well, I do want to talk about kind of your thoughts on the ecosystem. I'm curious. From your point of view, why does decentralization matter? Like you're excited about kind of Web3, which is all about decentralizing. And so I presume you have some sort of like personal belief of why this is fascinating and important.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's a number of different angles to look at that question, right? I mean, first of all, look at like the balance of power question look at what happens when things skew too far power-wise in a, in a centralized direction. And all the negative effects that we're, you know, facing as a society as a as a result of that, right? Like we've traded all of our information and attention and whatnot to a few centralized platforms that then exhibit tremendous power over your lives and what you see and what your news is and what your perception of the world is and everything and whatnot. And I and I certainly think there's a you know a large benefit to some of that power and influence being spread out amongst all of the participants that contribute value into an ecosystem, a community, a project, a company, et cetera, right? So I think that's that's really important. I think, you know, from a technology perspective, decentralization is really, really uh, important in terms of like efficiencies, redundancies, reliabilities, right? You can eliminate single points of failure, When you spread things out to the edges, you can get this um, kind of open competition that creates cost-effective prices for for resources like bandwidth, compute, and storage. You get the benefits of many different perspectives contributing to open source software and not just centralized planning dictating what a, a roadmap looks like, right? So you end up with this more resilient, stronger, unstoppable public good, essentially, that I think brings... Brings a lot of benefits, you know, specifically for things that can and should be commodities and shouldn't just be subject to whoever has the power in a specific, you know, jurisdiction or use case or or area, right? So, I, I think there's I think there's more benefits on different angles as well. But those are some that I'm excited about.
0: You're you're kind of deep in the in the space and the ecosystem when you're when you're trying to educate people or kind of inform them as to like what's going on, what the future is going to look like in this space what do you think some of the misconceptions are? What do people not quite get? What do they get confused about that you think would be good for them to understand?
1: That's a really good question. Um, What do people often get wrong? So here's one thing. I don't know if people get this wrong, but particularly when you look at all the financial use cases of crypto, you often hear that the new financial system is going to replace the old financial system right, and, and DeFi and Web3 and crypto is gonna become the world's money and financial system, right, and like maybe to some degree that, that may be possible, I think there's you know, a lot of challenges there, but like what I would get really excited about and I would want people to like open their eyes too is that like forget about replacing the existing financial system, instead have this recognition that so much of people's lives exist in this new digital online world or like digital online realm, right? Whether that's, you know, we're working in companies that exist all around the world and only meet and and interact on Zoom. We need to settle, you know, um, payments and compensation through that. Um, People are gaming and that's like a big part of their life and it feels like a virtual world. There are going to be virtual worlds that emerge there's online communities where people spend a ton of time like on Reddit and, and Discord and Slack and whatnot. And so like I think of DeFi and the whole financial aspect as literally being the underlying financial system and engine for this online realm. And it, it becomes like less and less important that it even like connects to the external world because you're your online only digital currency and assets and whatnot is gonna be the way that you participate in the online realm, which is more and more of your your existence. Like, yes, of course there need to be bridges if you're going to use this to pay your, your rent or uh, buy your groceries, right? And I think those bridges like can exist, but I think just the creation of like an online only native financial system that transcends borders that lets people be in control of their own economics is like super powerful. And it shouldn't just be about like replacing the other the other system
0: oh interesting so it's almost kind of de- like separating the, the physical from the virtual and letting kind of a new system emerge rather than anchoring it to like anchoring in a way that, that where it's trying to replace something that already exists what do, what do you think about the relationship between kind of like these these virtual worlds and in the physical ones in the future
1: good question like people probably do want to be able to move back and forth right it's, it's, it's not just one or the other, you have, to, you have to exist in both places. Hopefully sort of like self-custody and interoperability of your assets across these blockchain enabled platforms and the openness of them can enable that, right? We see like the lack of openness in the traditional financial infrastructure make it really difficult to do things like, you know, move between places with complete, complete freedom and move your assets between places with complete freedom. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think this blockchain based open digital focused, uh, you know, economy and, and Web3 infrastructure can hopefully help enable the bridge between those.
0: It seems like a, a long road, but definitely one that uh, is exciting to, to follow in this pursuit. Obviously, there will be challenges, but I'm curious, what are you most optimistic about either within the space or more broadly over the next you know five to 10 years?
1: Yeah, I, I think it goes back to the beginning of what I was was excited about in the first place, which is again, we're moving to this like online world. And I think like the pandemic showed how quickly that was accelerated, where people are going to be able to participate in the economy, monetize their time, get their entertainment through these digital first global platforms that make borders matter less and less and make where you're located, you know, affect your ability to earn less and less. And instead it's more directly tied to to your um, skill set, right? And I think that's what these, you know, infrastructure platforms are going to enable the p- apps and tools to exist that help enable this. I think the open financial economy is going to exist to help help enable this. And so, um, yeah, that's probably the, the thing that I'm, I'm most excited about. You know, I, don't, I don't come at this quite as much from a, a political angle of screw big tech or um, screw big gov or anything like that. I'm just more excited about like what can be enabled in the, in the future.
0: Where can, where can people find you and, and how can they support Livepeer? Like you're going to give them a kind of call to action here. What, uh, what do you want people to do? Yeah.
1: Sure thing. So yeah, check out, check out Livepeer at livepeer.org. We have a great 10 minute primer. That's really well done that can get you up to speed on that. Yep. Um, at livepeer.org is our Twitter, and my personal Twitter is my last name at petcanics. Um, so feel free to to join me there. One thing I'll say about the Livepeer community is the Discord is where we hang out, but it's entirely development focused, video focused, protocol focused. You know, if you want token price and speculation, head to head to Telegram. But um, <laughs> but the team doesn't really engage there too much. So. Uh, yeah, we want people who kind of believe in a, a open video infrastructure ecosystem. Want to be part of it and uh, yeah, j- join and, and jump in. It's pretty active.
0: Fantastic, Doug. Thank you so much for for coming on Build the Future. Uh, excited to see all the progress with Livepeer and and how the future gets shaped as a result of the work y'all are doing. Uh, so thank you.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Cameron. This was fun.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Build the Future podcast. If you're building and want to get support, want to hear about certain topics, or hear from certain people, shoot us over an email to hello at buildthefuturepodcast.com, or follow me, Cameron, on Twitter, at Cam and we'll see what we can make happen. That's it from us. Until next
1: time, go build!